morning. Good morning. Thank you all so much for, for being here this morning. Uh, I am glad that that bucktooth rabbit didn't see a shadow. Looking forward to the spring myself, uh, ready for things to warm up and all the issues that come with the cold and not be an issue anymore. Uh, if you're a visitor, please stay around afterwards. Uh, stay for one of our classes, grab muffins or coffee or whatever. Give us a chance to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, we do have classes immediately after worship, so please stay around for that. So we started a series last week called Asking for a Friend. And essentially what we're doing is we're going through issues that normally maybe we don't want to talk about. Maybe we don't want to admit we have an issue with. Or if we do, maybe we're desperate for help, but we just are scared to openly ask for that sort of thing. And so this morning what we're going to look at is pride and humility and how those two things go together. And, and this is something that, uh, you know, if we're going to talk about pride... I don't have to go far into my history, but I, I've got a story to share, obviously, with this sort of thing. Uh, but I was walking out of the door one morning, and I go through my garage and uh, go to open the garage door. And the garage door goes up part of the way and pop, bang, boom, you know, and it's sitting like at an angle. I'm like, ah, you know, all right, well, put that on my mental to-do list. So I know, all right, when I get home tonight, I got to at least get it closed. I got to get it fixed. One little detail is... Prior to this, I had a couple other things break that cost a lot of money, and so I was like, man, i got to do this one myself. I should know what's going on. So I come back that night after, after work and some other things, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to fix this thing. And so I can tell the cable's the issue, so I disconnect that. I get it down on the ground, so now it's at least closed. I'm like, all right, now i got to try to figure out what's wrong. So I look here and there, and this is bent, and that looks weird. And so I'm not a garage door expert, obviously, uh, but I do the best that I can, and I tighten up a thing or two, and I say, all right, this should be it, and I open it. And I, okay, it opens fine. Well, I go to close it, bang, bang, boom, you know, and there it is again at an angle. And I said, ah, oh, man. I said, well, all right, I, I just got to get it closed. So same thing, got it closed. And I said, all right, I don't have the time to mess with it tonight because at this point it's bedtime, and I didn't want to stay up all night working on this. I said, I'll work on it another day. So I put it off a couple days and did some research, and I was like, all right, I'm going to figure this thing out. And so Go back later, and all right, I'm going to get it, have to get it. So I mess with it all day. I think it was four or five hours I'm working on this thing. And each time, you know, this is a problem or whatever. Well, it's getting dark, and I know I don't want to be working on this all night again. And so I I'm, get it working or whatever. I put it all together, and I tighten up a few things. I'm like, all right, this is it. Same thing, go to close it. Pop, bang, boom. All right, I just got to get it closed for the night. It's like, obviously, I'm not going to win this battle. I just got to get it closed. So try to get it closed. I can't get it closed. And I do everything I can. Lots of anger. Lots of gnashing of teeth. Lots of maybe breaking a few things, whatever. I cannot get it closed. And this whole time, the reason I'm trying to fix this thing is because I know I'm not a garage door expert. But I do not want to spend the money. I do not want to have to get somebody else to try to fix this thing. I can do it. I know I can. I've been able to fix a lot of other things. And that was the night, fighting to try to get that thing down, where I realized this was going on. So badly, I wanted to be able to say, I can do this. Now, side note, this started off a long streak of me touching things and breaking them. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I, it was obvious the message needed to be hit as many ways as it could. God was making it clear there's not everything I'm able to fix. I was able to fix a lot of things in my lifetime. Apparently now that is over, I now break things when I touch them. But I realized 
that with this garage door, the thing that kept pushing me was not that this needed to get fixed. The thing that kept pushing me was, I can do this. I have the know-how. I've been around garage door. I can fix this. And the harder that I pushed, the more I realized, no, I could not. When the Bible talks about pride in Psalm 31, 23, it says, Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. And when I looked back at how I dealt with that garage door, I felt like I was abundantly repaid for all of my hard-headed decisions along the way. Proverbs 16, 18 through 19 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be lowly of spirit with the poor than to divide the spool with the proud. Buddy Robinson has this quote. He said, Pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone else sick except the person who has it. You know, when I think about that, I can't help but think of Pharaoh. You know, you think about Pharaoh, that he, he was the leader of Egypt. He had all this, you know, everything was going well, everything was going smooth. And then he has that encounter with Moses, when, and Moses saying, look, God has spoken to us, and he wants us to go out and worship him. And so he goes to him, and, and the response that, that Pharaoh has, he says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? And we, we recognize that. That's that pride, is to be, you know, of all the people to be proud towards, to be proud towards God. And you think about what happened from that point forward. It was a whole lot of Pharaoh being okay, but everybody else around him having to suffer for his pride. You know, when we are proud, when we live in pride, it's not just affecting us. It affects everybody around us. But when we're thinking about just this word pride, if we're just thinking about how we use this word pride, not all cases of use of this are, are necessarily bad. You think about it, the word pride, is it okay to be proud of my daughters when they do something? Is it okay to be proud of the fact that I'm a member of a church like this where when I look around I see God working through so many people and so many things? Can I be proud of those things? You know, even Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, he says, I'm acting with great boldness towards you because I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all affliction. I'm overflowing with joy. He says, look... I am proud of the Corinthians. So when we use the word pride, not all uses of the word pride are created equal. Well, let's flip and let's talk about humility. Obviously, humility is something that we are commanded on several occasions to have. We're told to have. Micah 6, 8 says, when he's summing up, you know, what is it that God expects of us? Is it these sacrifices? Is it these other things? He says, oh man, he's told you what's good. Does the Lord require of you but to do justice love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It is a key part of who we are as a God follower, as a Christian, that we are supposed to be people who are humble in what we do. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Samuel Bringle says this about an axe. He says, The axe can't boast in the trees that it's cut down. You know, you think about it, the axe has really done nothing. It's, it's the woodsman, it's the guy that sharpened the axe. It's the one that wields the axe. It's the one that swings the axe. He said, ultimately, if he wants to throw it aside, he can throw the axe aside, and it's nothing but rusted iron. That is the sort of humility that we're called to have. We realize that God is the one that works through us. You know, in Acts 
the apostles. They, they go to these different places and they come with the power of the Holy Spirit and they, they do a lot of miraculous things. And on one occasion they said, yeah, you know, he's Hermes and he's Zeus and look, the gods have come among us. And when they heard this, they quickly, it says, Barnabas and Paul, they tore their garments and rushed out of the crowd crying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of nature like you. Humility is a key part of who we are as people that follow God. But when we think about humility, when we think about this word, do we take it so far as to put ourselves down? Do we take it so far as to see it as our mission to make ourselves as little and as lowly as possible? You know, I'll use this. Think about the word humiliation. Humiliation has the same root as the word humble. But humiliation is something totally different. See, humility, even in itself, you have to be careful how you wield it. You have to be careful how you think of it. Because there is a bad sort of humility. Really what this comes down to is what are we proud of? And who are we humble to? You know, it's one thing to be proud of myself. It's something totally different to be proud of my children. It's one thing to be humble, knowing that God is the one that gives me and leads me and does everything through me. It's another thing to say that I am of no value. We have to be careful and clear about what we mean when we say pride and humility. When I think the best places that you can see this and you can look at this is in James chapter 4. If you don't remember any of the passage from this morning, remember this one and one other. James chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 6. It says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We just read a little bit of that earlier, that this is something they knew from the book of Proverbs and elsewhere, that God, when he sees pride in a person, he works against it to try to stamp out that pride. But he gives grace to the humble. Now, we want the clarification of what we're supposed to be humble to. It's verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Right after that, he wants to make it clear. He says, look, don't just go being humble and submitting to everybody, but instead the key thing is to humble yourself before God, realizing He created you, realizing He made you who you are, that He gave you every perfect gift, that He is the one working through you. He says it's not humility for humility's sake, but it's humility to God, submitting to Him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I, you, almost, you almost go to the devil and you say, look, I'm proud of who I have working inside of me. I know that he can stand up to you. And it's being confident enough to say that. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He's going to hit this as many times as he can. Humility is about going to God. It's about humbling ourselves before God. It's about not being proud to God, but instead putting ourselves in a lowly state before him. That's what we can be humble to. Goes on in verse 9, he says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. You know, when you read this, is he saying all the time? Are we supposed to be people that walk around like this? That are wretched and mournful and we're just constantly downtrodden and have this look on our face, oh, poor pitiful me. Gloom, despair, and agony. Now, we know better. 
We know that that's, that's not in all contexts. But instead, the context here is have this attitude towards God. Is we realize our place. We realize how low we are compared to Him. We're not supposed to be people that go around this sort of attitude, but instead, that's the attitude that we have towards God. What does it say in verse 10? Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Right? It's not just beating ourselves down. It's not just constantly looking at ourselves and saying, oh, how pitiful I am. And the truth is, is that some people walk around like that. And some people think that humility is just beating yourself down as low as you can. The reason I take the time to go through explaining the nuances of these words is because we live in a day and age where people have so low self-esteem, where they don't know where their value comes from. They don't know why they're important, why they matter. Issues like suicide and depression, these are rampant in our culture. And it's not that we are called to just beat ourselves down, but instead... We lower ourselves at the feet of God. We go to Him. And what does it say at the end of that? He will exalt you. C.S. Lewis has this quote. He said, you know, you want to combat the idea of I'm special? He says, don't combat it by saying, I'm no special than anybody else. He said, but instead, I prefer everyone is as special as me. You know, you think about the difference there. Both of those are humble. Why, why is it that I could say I'm special? It's not because of anything inherently done in me. It's because of God and what He has said about me and what He has said that I can have in me. And that's His Spirit. We are all special. And if we're going to combat this society that's full of all these issues, we do it by saying everyone is just as special as me. Why? Because we are all equal at the foot of the cross. There's a big difference in humiliating yourself. There's a big difference in humbling yourself to the point that there's nothing left and what the Bible teaches that we should be humble to. I don't know if you ever realized this or not, but where Jesus responds with the, the greatest commandment and the second one that's like it. But he says, you know, a lawyer asked him this question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Then the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, a lot of times we, we summarize it as to love God and love others. But I think our society needs to hear more than ever that we are to love others as ourself. We have to realize that God values us, that God cares for us. That's the only way we can go out and love people the way that we're supposed to. If we can't love ourselves... How are we supposed to go out and show love to others? Because God created me the same as he created you. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. So let's explore this idea. It really comes down to having a proper view of yourself. It's, it's not, as Romans says, it's not thinking too highly of yourself. Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace God given to me, I say everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Each according to what? The measure of faith that God has assigned. He says, if you want to look at yourself, you want to assess yourself, don't think too highly, but instead measure yourself by your faith. Measure yourself by how much you've given over to God. Measure yourself by how much you've humbled yourself before God. 
He says, look, that's one of the keys to pride is not looking at yourself and how great am I, but instead looking at yourself and how is God working through me? Because it's really God that does it all. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship. The New Living Translation says, We are His masterpiece. Now, if you want to think about how our value, if we want to think about who we are, well, what do you think about God's workmanship? You think when God makes things that He makes junk? When you think that God creates a human that He creates junk? You think when God tries to fix a garage door, it goes pop, bang, boom, and goes sideways? You think that's His workmanship? No. God created Mount Everest. God created the depths of the ocean that we have yet to explore. God created every beautiful thing that we see around us. And we are His masterpiece. That's the value of our soul. That's the value of our life. It's not because of anything inherent in me, but it's because I've been stamped by my Creator. I've been signed by my Creator. Just like those beautiful paintings of old, He has wrote His name on us. Saying that He created us to be the most beautiful thing. Do we believe that? Do we see that sort of value in ourselves? Do we see that sort of value in others? We're going to have a proper view of ourselves. We have to realize just truly how much God has loved us, how much that He does for us, how much He cares for us. John Ruskin has this quote, and if you can't read it, I promise the next one will be a little easier to read. I don't know who this guy is, but I thought this sounded great. I believe that the first test of a truly great man is humility. I I do not mean by humility the doubt of his own power, but really great people have a curious feeling that the greatness is not in them, but through them. And they see something divine in others and are endlessly, foolishly, and incredibly merciful. I love this. This has the three points of, if we want to have a proper view of ourselves. I think this sums it up well. The first thing, what he say, is that humility is not a doubt of your own power. It's, it's not a doubt of what you can do. It's not saying, well, you know, I, I, I probably shouldn't do that. It's not when Moses said to God, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not a good speaker. I'm slow of speech. How did God respond? He said, who made your mouth? Right? It's not a doubt of our abilities because to doubt our abilities is to doubt what God has created. It's not a doubt of power, but instead it's realizing that the greatness, that everything good that's in us does not come from me, but through me. It's that if there's anything good in my life worth lifting up and saying, look at this, it's not something that originates with me. It's something that God does through me. That's humility. And then the last thing, right? We see something divine in others. We see that same value. We see that same ability. Someone's ability to humble themselves before God and become that true masterpiece that He created them to be. We see that in others. And because of that, we go out. And even foolishly, we love others. And we care for others. We love others as we love ourselves. If we have a proper view of ourselves, if we see the value that's inside of us, then we can go out and love others. You know, this idea of humility, it doesn't originate with us. We're not the first ones to be able to do it. 
You know, Philippians 2, this is the other passage I want you to remember. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3, says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Right? That's what we just talked about. Right? Don't think that you're better than anyone else. Let each of you look not only to your own interest. Right? It doesn't say avoid your own interest. It says not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. How can we do this? Why are we doing this? All these questions come from what comes next. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was the form of God, you want to have something to be proud of? You want to have something that's worth telling others about that? His, Jesus was in the very form of God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself. And by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We can be humble because of what Jesus did. If Jesus hadn't died on that cross, then really what is humility going to offer us? Anything. But we are humble because he was humble. We have power through us because of what he did on the cross. The only way that we can go about saying that we have God working through us is because of what He's already done. The same way that Christ emptied Himself. And you look at John, you look at the way that He talked through the Gospels. He constantly said, I'm not here on my own accord, I'm here for the Father. And He models and shows us the example of what it means and what it looks like to be humble in everything that we do. We are able to have a proper view of ourselves and to be humble because of what he did. So how do we do this? Where do we start? How do we start to root out the pride in our daily life? How do we start to become more humble in everything that we do? The first thing is this, is you got to realize that you have pride. we got to realize that we have pride in our life. C.F. Lewis said this, step one to being humble is to admit that you're proud. He says, if you think that, that you're not proud, if he says, if you're wanting to say that you have no pride, then you're conceited more than anybody else. We have to realize that we have pride working in our life. We have to realize it because if we don't realize it, we can't root it out. We have to know that it's there before we can ever do anything about it. John Piper had this really great definition for humility. He said, you want to know who you, what humility is? It's the opposite of entitlement. Humility is the opposite of entitlement. You know, it doesn't mean that necessarily pride is entitlement. That's not what I'm saying. But if you want to be humble, you start looking at the ways in your life that you're entitled. You know, if you're entitled, you walk around with this attitude of, you know, you owe me, right? It's that you owe me this. You owe me my food in a drive-thru in a quick way. You know, no, I, I've been here, you know, it's 10 minutes. You, you owe me. You owe me my coffee exactly how I ordered it. With the name spelled right and everything. You owe me. I'm driving fast. You owe me that left lane. Get it over. I'm driving fast. This is mine. You know, I've worked so hard. That garage door owes me to be fixed. You know, you think about that. Who, who lives without a sense of entitlement? We all struggle with that. We all, 
for whatever reason, think that there's some sort of exchange rate, right? Something entitles me to this. Jesus, the very form of God, emptied himself. None of that was worth grasping. It's not worth trying to say I'm entitled to anything. It's that song, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have ended it at any moment. He was entitled to that as the son of the creator of the universe. But he emptied himself of all of that. One of my favorite stories in the Bible along this line of this idea is about Haman. It was this, I'm sorry, not Haman, Naaman. He was a king from a, uh, the Persians, I think, or one of those, and he had leprosy. And so they sent him to, to Judea, and they said, look, go over there. You know, there's a prophet over there that can heal you. So he goes, and he, this whole story, it's just wonderful because it's, it's us in a lot of ways. But Elisha sent a messenger to him, and so he, he finally shows up to Elisha, and instead of Elisha, the prophet, coming out and meeting him, coming out and doing anything, instead, Elisha just sends a man to tell him what to do. So here's this king with all of his you know, attendants and people following him. And, you know, he's a king. He's the king of a major empire, right? But he sends a messenger. He says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Right after that, Naaman was angry and he went aside. He said, behold, I thought that surely he would come out to me. And he would stand and call upon the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. He said, are not the Abana and the Farfar and the rivers of Damascus better than all of the ones in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and rent in a rage. You know, he, he was willing to go all that way to be healed. He was willing to go and he, he had these expectations, right? I'm a king, you owe me some ceremony. Come out here and wave around and dance and do everything. Make it look good. But Elisha sent a messenger. He said, no, you know, there's, there's better rivers back in Damascus. Why am I washing in this filthy Jordan, right? They had that pride. It's like, no, my river is better. I'm not going to be cleaned by that river. He was so full of pride. He was ready to leave. But then his attendant said to him, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? He said, look, it's... It's simple. Are you really going to let pride get in the way of doing something so simple? He had this sense of entitlement. He thought, I'm a king. I'm from Persia or whatever. You know, I'm, I, I deserve some hoopla. Where's my hoopla? The other thing we got to realize is we got to realize where our value comes from. You know, there's a lot of things in this world that we can try to put our value in. You know, we got to be aware of our pride, but we got to be aware of how valued that we are. See, Naaman was not willing to do that simple thing because of pride. Think about how many people don't do the simple thing because of some sort of pride. One of the fam most famous verses of all the Bible, one that Probably tonight, when you watch the Super Bowl, you're going to see posted in several places. Maybe even people have it on a little eye black like Tim Tebow. You know, you're going to see it. But John 3, 16. You want to know your value. You want to know how much God cares for all of humanity. He loved the world so much that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him 
should not perish but have eternal life. So many people aren't willing to even give belief a chance because of the pride and the entitlement that they have within themselves. You know, they'd, they'd rather it be something complicated. They'd rather be saying, hey, you need to study this book and, you know, you need to figure out and, you know, Da Vinci Code, all that, you know, all that kind of stuff is really popular right now. You know, this is, they want something complicated. But it's not really that complicated. You believe that this man that we read about, this Jesus Christ, that he actually lived, that he actually died, and he actually was raised again. Can you believe that? It should be really simple. But man, we have so many things that tend to get in the way. Pride is something that we all struggle with. And we all know we could be better at humbling ourselves before God. Today, won't you do that? If you're not a Christian for some issue that you've been wrestling with, you know, just lay down that pride. Lay down whatever issue that's keeping you between you and your Creator. Put Him on. Confess His name. Repent. Be willing to be baptized. Because see, it's really not that complicated. But there's so many things that want to stand in the way. Or if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, and you need prayers for whatever reason, come now as we stand and sing together.